You're listening to the Brand Boost Podcast, an exclusive look at who's doing business right. He's your favorite brand correspondent with more tweets than the Bible's got Psalms. Here's your host, Vincenzo Landino. Joining me this morning on the Brand Boost Podcast is Barry Enderwick, a Netflix alum, experienced marketer, uh, brand marketer. I know you were with Netflix for about 11 years, right, Barry? That's correct. 2001 to 2012. That's a lot of experience at a very cool <laughs> brand. Uh, <laughs> yeah, very fortunate. Probably something most people can't say they've done, so that's uh, that's great. Uh, you know, you posted, we were in a Facebook mutual Facebook group, just to give the, the listeners some background here. Uh, we were in a mutual Facebook group. You posted an article called How to Copy Netflix. And I noticed it and I clicked on it instantly. And I usually, you know, I usually mute those notifications in those groups because I'm in so many, but this one caught yes. my eye instantly. And I'm like, I got to get this guy in the podcast. This has got to be some interesting <laughs> stuff. And I read the article, of course, it was like, you know, it, it sounds mind blowing, but it's just like, I'm like, I need to hear the thought process. This. So I, I want to, let's just jump right into it and then talk about the, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the article, a little bit about your uh, experience. Actually, let's go into the experience at Netflix. Talk a little okay. bit about working there. What What is it like there and how quickly did things, uh, you know, spin off for them? Like from what I remember getting DVDs in the mail from them, from Netflix, and that was like the cool thing. And then there was like the post office scandal where they post office people would steal the DVD, oh, <laughs> DVDs yeah, yeah. and now we're just streaming it live. So if talk a little bit about that uh, prog- yeah. progression. Um yeah, well, yeah, I joined the company in 2001. We had under 300,000 subscribers, and the idea that you would go online, create a list of movies that you wanted to see, and some company would send them to you in the mail was just interesting, but if not, but mainly absurd for mainstream consumers. Um, it was early adopters that uh, that we we meshed with uh, at first. And the way we got those early adopters, which I guess today would probably be considered a growth hack, but really it's just a marketing tactic. Buzzword. Growth hack. I'm just, I'm tired of growth hack as a term because it, it, to me, it, it implies super fast growth and it has no nod to lifetime value or retention or it just or strategy or strategy yeah it's just growth for growth's sake which is dumb growth but anyway um i'm not trying to offend anybody but whatever go for it Uh, the, the um the what we did is we partnered with dvd manufacturers and we were able to put a uh a promotional piece inside each dvd player that was coming out of china uh, which was a way to get to early adopters because they were the ones buying. Uh, so the company, you know, when I first started, there was just a, a startup. They were a pretty smart startup. They didn't uh, they didn't have a lot of perks, and this was right when after the first dot com bust. So perks were uh, pared back quite a bit. You had to buy your own soda, which I thought was good. That means they were, they, they valued their dollars. They weren't just going to throw them away. They wanted to actually. There wasn't this. sleeping pods and nope. free lunch for everybody. Nope. No, no unicorn massages. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, there, there were none of those perks, and I thought, well, this is a company that's got its head on straight. It's not blowing money on superfluous things that, when really they they need to fight to survive and grow. Uh, and then the, shortly thereafter, we switched to what they called a high performance culture, uh, which is more of like a freedom and responsibility culture, where they trust you to be an adult, treat you like an adult. And that comes, you know, that cuts both ways. You, the unlimited vacation policy is an extension of that, but so is uh, you being on the hook to write the check for 
$3 million of online ad spend if that was your purview. The CMO never signed those checks. So it was, it, it was an interesting transition to go from just regular startup company running with the chicken with its head cut off kind of to deliberate culture. Uh, and then the culture deck also evolved over time. It wasn't fully formed when they, they started in 2001. But by the time 2007, when Reed Hastings published the SlideShare deck for the Netflix culture, it was pretty well formed. And we, you know, quarterly directors and above would, would work on it uh, to help refine and see if we needed to change anything. And so the company, you know, it changed. It, it, it changed. That that was the biggest change for the company. Once that culture got ingrained and started growing, it helped smooth out uh, hiring processes. It started to, to really make things more efficient, and uh, we were just able to grow. And you know, the CEO Reed Hastings is nothing if not very smart, and thinks strategically all the time. So the idea of, I remember when. Streaming first started happening. People were like, "Oh, Amazon's going to bury them. Uh, Blockbuster is going to come up with a streaming product that's going to be a Netflix killer." And by that time, we had already been thinking about streaming and working on streaming for three or four years. So it was almost laughable to see these these journalists uh, kind of, you know, call for our our demise uh, based on their limited understanding of what the strategic thinking was at the time. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I hear you saying over and over and over in that five minutes was strategy, strategic. I mean, yeah. what? Think. And so, in your words, what is strategy by definition? What to you? Strategy, to me, it's a long term plan uh, uh, that helps define where you are going. It's not carved in stone, it's not etched in stone. Uh, it's also not carved in butter on a hot day, but it's 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 got to be somewhat flexible uh, to to accommodate changes in market forces or you know something that happens with the business. You you have to be able to shift your focus. Netflix, when we first started up, the idea of streaming movies was absurd. the The bandwidth was terrible, so it was DVDs. We're going to do these DVDs, and this is great. And then as we moved forward in time, the the bandwidth started getting better and better, and we, we could see that someday the bandwidth is going to be there to be able to stream movies. It's, that is going to happen. So what we need to do is get as big as possible on DVD so that when we transition into streaming, we'll have a big installed base and we'll have a head start. And this, at the time, people were just completely dismissive of streaming. They weren't looking forward to the future uh, and thinking that streaming was going to be anything. They were just looking at the current constraints and going, yeah, streaming is going to be terrible. Uh, so for me, the strategy is that you, you, you take the long view and you figure out where you want to go. You figure out what your, what your objective is, and then you start figuring out how to execute against that, keeping in mind that you have to revisit the strategy on a fairly frequent basis to make sure that it still matches uh, the current conditions. How often, how often, and we'll use Netflix as a specific example, but how often did you revisit the strategy, you know? Like you, you know, you and I were talking a little bit before uh, we started here, but you were once the best way to rent DVDs, and now you know you're moving into a streaming membership model or, or just streaming in general. How often are you revisiting that and changing the long-term goal, or does the long-term goal always stay the same? Uh, no, well, the long-term goal shifted. Like, like I said, Netflix. The big thing was to become bigger than Blockbuster with DVD rentals. Then it was to have a huge install base so that when streaming came along, we would have a head start in the streaming realm. And then it became, well, we want to be international because 
80% of the market is outside the United States, oh, well, then we need to do uh, original content in order to be differentiated. Uh, and, and so the strategy shifts. The, at Netflix, we have, we have these things called the quarterly business reviews, QBRs. And uh, once a quarter, there would be a day and a half offsite for directors and above. And part of that was an information sharing session. Uh, part of that was a chance, of course, for socialization with the rest of the uh, other areas of the company that you didn't necessarily interact with on a day-to-day basis. And part of it was also dealing with uh, the, the, the culture, uh, revisiting the strategy around the culture, thinking about the strategic uh, threats that we saw and what that meant, uh, what the future looked like. So there was constant refinement uh, on the strategy, mainly driven by Reed on the, the strategy point. Mm-hmm. And so... I. What it sounds, you know, from for from someone listening from the outside who wasn't there, you know, all this is great. Okay, you have like these reviews and you have this this culture. And what what would you say is the biggest driver of the success that Netflix has seen? Is it the ever changing, uh, you know, culture, or was it the fact that you just had really smart people at the top saying this is how we're going to do it? What, like, and yeah, I, know, I know you have an answer for this, so I, but I want to I want everyone else to hear it. I don't know that I, I could pin it on one thing. I could pin it on. I, I could say it's a combination of things uh, working in concert. So, wicked smart CEO who can think strategically and think about the future and pretty much nail it. <laughs> he's not. Don't get me wrong. He's not a seer. He's not some sort of. Uh, card reader or anything like that. He's just <laughs> very smart and he can look at emerging trends and sort of see where things are headed. Um, which if you spend a lot of time doing that, you get better and better at it. Right. So it's a combination of great leadership and for me, the culture. Because the culture then allowed for getting people who were the best uh, to, to come work for Netflix. And that was the, that's their philosophy for, for hiring is to hire the best, pay top of market. And they do. They pay ridiculous salaries to keep people and to, to hire people and keep people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that allows for you to. And the, the other thing that the culture does is it makes it grossly efficient. That's probably not the best adjective, but uh, it makes it hyper efficient so that 95% of your efforts are for what your job is and not office politics. Uh, office politics barely existed there, which I understand that other companies is um, problematic and a waste of time. I, and I know that this is not the original thought of this, but we are essentially talking about how to copy Netflix. Yeah. Is there, if you can give one tip on that, how do you get rid of the office politics? How, how At Netflix, how did you guys remove that from uh, the culture? Well, again, it, was, it came down to the high-performance culture where you're expected to perform at an ultra-high level all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what ended up happening is you just that's all you did was focus on solving problems and so when someone would come in for an interview you would know within about 5 minutes whether or not they were going to work out or not which so it made the hiring process efficient as well but it's a matter of knowing defining what your culture is and knowing how to implement it right so Netflix had the high performance culture. If, have you seen, did you go through the culture deck at all by chance? I, you know what? I have not. I'll come clean. I did not. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. It's 127 slides. It's a long one. Yeah, I, I'm going to put it on my homework to do, and I will link to it in the show notes for the listeners that want to check that out. Uh, yeah. we, we'll both do homework. So the listeners, you guys have homework, and I will do the same and check through the culture deck. But I'll trust that Barry has uh, the right information from this. Yeah, it's 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 a good read. It's worth doing, and you know it's interesting because. 
the one thing that the Netflix culture failed to do uh, was to kind of be more human, right? So there's no mentoring, there's no career track, there's no, if someone isn't doing well at their job, there isn't a uh, program by which they can be trained and, and work in a different part of the company. It's just pretty much, all right, well, you're done. Um, so it's a, it, it's a bit cold. They used to liken it to a professional sports team, mm-hmm. right? So if you, you can't you can't catch the ball anymore. You're off the team. Right. Uh, so it's not perfect. And I think actually another culture deck to check out if you've got copious amounts of time and nothing to do uh, <laughs> is HubSpot. Uh, their culture deck yeah. is fantastic. Their C- CTO, I believe, Darmesh. Darmesh. Um, did a fantastic job of humanizing the Netflix culture. I know he was obsessed with Netflix and um, when he was working on that deck, but I think they did a pretty good job of advancing it by making it, uh, taking into account that these are human beings that are mm-hmm. trying to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, yeah, leadership and the, the, and the um, culture, culture were the big drivers of being able to drive, make efficiency and innovation just ingrained in everything they do. And, you know, feel free to answer this question however you choose, but why do you see startups now or today that, you know, everyone strives to be this startup. Everyone wants to be mm-hmm. the next Google, the next, you know, there's everybody want, that's what they strive for. But why, why do you think they fail? Is it because of culture? And if, and if so, what is it that they are not doing properly? Well, that's, that's a pretty broad question, but I would, I would put it this way. When I was knocking around. I took a year off after I left Netflix and I was advising some startups and I was interviewing around and I would ask about culture and typically the culture question, the culture answer came back of something like, Oh, we're like family. (laughs) And that's not, that's not a culture. That's just how you feel about each other. Kind of. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think a lot of startups, some now are getting a little bit better about thinking about what is our culture. Let's define our culture up front. Um, to, to, to be more efficient. So when we scale, we don't have to worry about who are we and how do we approach things, but they, they just don't think about culture. They get lost in the tactical. Um, and that's, that's understandable because you're, you're trying to, you're running and gunning, you're trying to build a business, but you have to carve out time to think about long-term strategy and, and culture. Those are important things. Yeah. No, well, it, it's, you know, it's, you see it, it's, I don't want to say it's an epidemic, but you see everyone striving to be this startup, but nobody seems to be implementing the right. To, and, and listen, not every startup is successful. Yeah, yeah. Not, not every startup has the, the right culture, obviously. Um, yeah. So we want to learn from Netflix. So for, well, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I think that uh, you're, we're seeing a shift. We're starting to see a shift where hyper growth is mm-hmm. not going to be as rewarded as uh, revenue. Um, so, isn't that I, the I, truth, though? I, I mean, think that's welcome, personally. But isn't that like it? <laughs> there's so many startups, and I and I'm not going to name specifically specific ones that I'm thinking in my head. But there's okay. so, there's a lot that actually it, I don't even want to say the majority of them, but there's so many that oh we're growing so much, we're growing so much, great. What's your you know what's the bottom line? Yeah, nah, well, we're not making money. We haven't even broke even yet. Oh, we're not even, you know, we're just well, hiring, hiring, hiring. Okay, great. Who are you hiring? Are you hiring the right people? Are you, you know, is there anything yep. that, you, is there some sort of end goal in mind here? Because Yeah, exactly. I, well, what, I, kind of, what kind of success metric is we're growing rapidly? Well, it's not a success it, metric. Exactly. Yeah. So, so for me, it's, it's, everyone looks at Facebook and how they grew huge and then figured out how to monetize. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. well, that worked for them. Right. 
that's not, you're building a business. You want this business to be around for 50, 100 years, then you need to start thinking about more about uh, lifetime value, revenue, cost per acquisition. You need to think about those things, not just growth at any cost. Yeah. What? And, and oh, and the other thing, what, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. One, one thing that I see, and it continues to happen, and it's mind blowing to me, is that companies with retention issues think that they can spend their way out of it in marketing. And mm. just, if you don't fix retention issues, you're just wasting, you might as well just burn those dollars. Yeah. Yeah, I. Uh, it's, it's funny you mentioned retention. I was thinking the same thing. How how do you think a brand or any company how can they follow? If I was to ask for Barry's top tips, oh boy, <laughs> on uh, you know how to copy Netflix, how do we be like Netflix? How can another brand follow in those footsteps? What would what would Barry say to me? Well, I think uh, first and foremost is get a brand position and. Do it the right way. Mm-hmm. So understanding what your brand position is and what your brand attributes are means that you can scale and grow and you won't have offshoots creating their own version uh, of what they think the brand should be, which happens pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. So uh, my example, again, will be the, the Netflix example of uh, when I got there it was uh, DVD, the best way to rent DVDs, which is functional, not very inspiring, not very good. If you If you want people to think of something uh, when they think of your brand, the best way to rent DVDs is nice, but it's just transactional. Right. So we did research. We went to consumers and we actually did research and we, we figured out that we needed to be something different to them. We needed to fulfill uh, a part of their lives that we had not addressed and we likely would not have figured out on our own. And if we had figured out on our own, it would have taken a long time. And we moved to movie enjoyment made easy. So that's what we wanted people to feel or think of when they, they saw thought of Netflix or saw Netflix logo. We wanted them to think of movie enjoyment made easy. And then also uh, attributes were distilled out of that those conversations as well. So we knew how to talk about ourselves and what we were offering so that we pay off movie enjoyment made easy. Without doing the research, we could come up with something in a room, and it may be right. It likely won't be right. And if it is right, you won't know why it's right. Right. So without without something to support that. Right. Exactly. So by doing the research, by doing research for your brand position and your attributes, you're able to understand the why. And that helps you develop thematic supports, which helps you develop messaging and claims that you can then go A-B test to find the best ones that all tie back to paying off that brand position. Research, research, research. Right. Research is good. And, you know, a lot of people get down on consumer research. They think, oh, focus groups, great. But really, focus groups for us was direct. They're they're directional. They were not ever verbatims. They were never never a way to figure out whether or not we should uh, even try something. We just take big ideas and we get feedback and we distill it down and figure out, okay, this will work. This definitely, this approach will not work. And then the ones that will work could work. We took an A-B testing to find out whether it did work. And then we'd have a control and we'd take another run at it constantly. And what, so tell me, what happens when you don't pay off the brand position? Oh, Quickster. <laughs> Quickster. Well, explain it, that for those that don't know. Oh, God. Okay, so in 2011, Netflix uh, CEO Reed Hastings decided that he wanted to move the business where it eventually is going to be, and that is that Netflix is about streaming. Uh, but we have this DVD business. So he decided that we were going to split the company in two. There would be two websites, 
two logins, passwords, two line items on your credit card statement, two queues or, or movie lists to manage. Um, the other side benefit of doing this, though, by by the way, was we were trying to integrate social sharing into Netflix. Okay. And because we had physical DVDs, we were still under the Video Protection and Privacy Act, which uh, prevents anybody, even the person who rented a movie, from sharing uh, data about that movie. And it was an uh, offshoot of the, I believe it was Bork, huh. Richard Bork. He was a nominee for the yeah. Supreme Court, and the um, video rental data got exposed uh, during his confirmation hearing, uh, which kind of deep-sixed him. And Congress then passed the Video Protection and Privacy Act so that no one could do that again. Well, side effect was that Netflix couldn't integrate social into the product because of, because we had physical DVDs. Gotcha, okay. So... But again, the brand position is movie enjoyment made easy, mm-hmm. and we're taking this and we're making it so that you have to log into two websites, have two accounts, have two line items. Nothing about it was easy. Nothing about it was it was the complete opposite of movie enjoyment made easy. And so all the goodwill that we had built up over the years by paying off the movie enjoyment made easy just got obliterated. Yeah, uh, and it caused it caused a lot of. Uh, Sturm and Drang at the at the at the company. It also caused an exodus of over eight hundred thousand subscribers at the time. But Netflix had going forward a, a couple of things, uh, a few things. One, they're going to execute against their strategy of movie enjoyment made easy continuously. So they kept working on the product and, and making it better. So there's that. There was nothing else out there that had a straight parity as far as a consumer offer is concerned. Like there was nowhere you were going to go and pay ten bucks a month and get unlimited movies and TV shows streaming to your your uh, laptop or, or PS3 or anything like that. Everything was muddled up. Amazon Prime uh, is a a package deal and it's not a clean proposition. Uh, HBO Now was not available. HBO Go wasn't available. So consumers were going to likely have no other choice if they wanted a low cost, uh, unlimited supply of entertainment. And then there's the uh, attention evaporation that uh, has been accelerating, uh, wherein we have so many different input channels for data and information as consumers that outrage kind of dies down pretty quickly, and we forget that we're angry at companies far far quicker than it ever has happened in the past when there was only three TV channels and a couple of radio stations (laughs) and one newspaper. So it had that going for it as well. Yeah. Um, no one wanted to buy Quickster, huh? There was no, I mean, well, even though people still at the time may have wanted DVD by mail, there was well, no interest. Well, so yeah, the, the context is that we had Netflix, uh, DVDs by mail unlimited. You had your plan and that was mm-hmm. that. Then we launched streaming and it was just a crappy selection of titles. So we included it for free. Then something curious happened. we, started to charge $2 for streaming as an add-on to the DVD service because the titles got better. I remember that, yeah. So then Reed took a look at that and was like, well, wait a second. That means our, we're, we're signaling that our streaming catalog is only worth $2 a month and our DVD catalog is worth you know, $7 a month. That's not right. They need, there needs to be price parity mm-hmm. so that we can actually split off the companies. Um, so... That was the thinking behind it. Uh, your question about did it was anyone interested in buying another company? Yeah. Oh. Oh. Barry, I think I. Yeah. 
I, I, I think I lost you there. What, go ahead. Say that one more time. What, what did you did, just ask did me? You mean, yeah. Did you mean a consumer buying it or did you mean another company buying Quickster? Uh, like even an, another company at that point when things kind of went south, was there anyone still interested in the, the service of Quickster? No, no, not really. I mean, people want DVDs. People to this day still want DVDs. Yeah. Uh, because it's a, more, a better selection, a uh, more recent selection, plus you get extras. Um, but the number of people who want it are, is dwindling, yeah. uh, of course. And there's, Netflix is not really spending a whole ton of money uh, behind making that service better and better because eventually it's going to die off. Um, the one more thing to note about Quickster is that the reason it was named Quickster and not Netflix DVDs or anything like that was because the idea was it was going to spin off as its own company and be more about logistics. So if it could get a piece of Amazon's business, right. it would be successful and it wouldn't just have be DVDs by mail. But yeah, do you, I, I'm not even sure. I mean, I have Netflix subscription. Do you guys still do DVDs? Or, yeah. or do they still do DVDs? I don't even know. I, I've never tried to order one ever since I – okay, they do. They do, but it's a, it's a separate site. You have to go to dvd.netflix.com to, to sign up or to order it. Oh, I, um, I wouldn't have even known that until you yeah. just told me. Okay. Exactly. Oh, good to know. And, and so when is it time to shift the brand? I know that's kind of like something else that – you know, there's people that want to copy Netflix. They need to know when it's time to shift. How do you know yeah. when it's time? How do you understand that? Again, this ties back to the, the strategy portion of the program we were talking about. Um, so you take a look at Netflix and you know that streaming is coming. Uh, nothing really changes with the brand and the brand position there. That's, not, that's just a delivery mechanism. It's not really a brand position shift. The big shift in brand came when Netflix moved into originals. And so looking at looking forward, they knew that they were had to expand internationally. They knew that with the current, I shouldn't say current, they knew with the catalog that they had of other people's content, movies and TV shows, there were going to be certain areas of the globe where it was a no-go. South Korea being a prime example where there's no way Netflix could have gone in there with their, their old catalog of other people's content. So original content becomes a differentiator, not just from a, a standpoint of your competitors, but also your ability to expand truly into a truly global entertainment brand. So I'd be willing to bet that the movie enjoyment made easy has completely has shifted uh, to be more about being the world's uh, number one entertainment company or something along those lines. Now that's again that's just speculation, but it's a it's a definite shift from having other people's content to having your original content be the lead. So that's a, that, that would be the big brand shift for Netflix. So when is it time? It's, it's when it, the, the brand needs to become something different to address market goals or market situations so that your long-term goals can be met. Does that include changing brand perception? Does it include adjusting the experience your customers are receiving? What, what goes into that, that shift? Is it, or is it all just internal? Uh, I think it's it's mainly internal. I don't think Netflix is trying to necessarily reinvent itself, mm-hmm. uh, but the brand position it has to be more focused around original content uh, than anything else because that is it. That is their big. That is going to be their big play uh, going forward. So I, I think it's it's not so much that they they'll change up. They're still going to try and pay off uh, a great experience, and that might be part of their brand position. Still, I don't I don't know what their brand position is currently. But strategically, they, they need to be the number one entertainment glo- global entertainment company. And by that, I mean global 
in content, not just reach, right? right? So that someone who signs up in India can see the same catalog as someone who signs up in Australia. Yeah. And they don't have, that's not exactly completely 100% accurate right now, right? They can't do oh, that no. yet. No, no. It, licensing has always been a Byzantine maze uh, when it comes to licensing content from other people. And uh, global rights for stuff would just not impossible. Well, I wouldn't say impossible, but pretty close to impossible to come come to for most content that gets created. Whereas the original content stuff, it's built in. They own the global rights. Right. Every single market will have it. So when you have a hit like House of Cards, it's not just available in the United States. It's every country. Yeah, it's an absolutely amazing show, by the way. That is. Anyone who hasn't watched House of Cards, you probably should do that. Now. Oh, there's there's a bunch of great shows. I mean, Netflix is just nailing uh, their shows. And the, the great thing about the original content is it doesn't have to be a House of Cards level hit to be a success. Oh, of course not. Of course not. Yeah. You have. Yeah, <laughs> of course well, not. It's you not. say it's not, but I've seen I've seen Wall Street analysts talk about how they don't think Netflix can uh, do as well as HBO because they're not going to have. Um, oh, what is it? Game of Thrones. That's it. Thank you. Yeah. Game of Thrones. And it's like, but they don't have they to don't have to. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They're on a, you know, the old, the Nielsen ratings and all that stuff probably don't apply to Netflix. I'm sure no. they don't apply to Netflix at all. They're, no. they're completely, <laughs> it's completely, completely different. So, uh, yeah. that's good stuff, Barry. I appreciate, you know, really appreciate you coming on and, and giving us some insight. It's, it's, yeah. I, I can sit here and listen and, uh, you know, through some points of that, I'm just like thinking, I'm like, wow, this, I'm taking in the knowledge and I'm not even talking. And I'm like, wow, I usually do a lot more talking than this, but I just love <laughs> listening. So thank you. And you know, yeah, for yeah. the listeners, where can they find you and what are you doing now? So give a little plug to yourself at this point. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so right now I've uh, created Kaizen creative partnership with a uh, former brand manager at Netflix, Gary McMath. He was there for eight years and at AT&T wireless for 15 years prior to that. Uh, and what we do is we help businesses discover their brand position and their attributes. Uh, and again, it's all based on research. It's fact-based. We're, we're basically applying our approach that we did at Netflix uh, to Silicon Valley startups and even big companies. Uh, it's an interesting, too, because we both have a consumer background, but uh, we found that the, the process works for B2B, B2C, B2Developer. We did stuff for Intel Open Source uh, Division and helped them name a project and figure out the brand for a code project. So um, you can find us online at uh, kaizencp.com, K-A-I-Z-E-N-C-P.com. Um, also on Twitter at KaizenBerry and LinkedIn, Barry Enderwick. You can find me there. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to actually be able to, to leverage what I learned and share it with other businesses to help them be able to scale. Yeah, so if you're looking for a little bit more insight than what you got today in this 30-minute segment, Barry actually provides these services about brand positioning. So that, I think, is amazing. And if, if you were interested in what he said, feel free to contact him. I'll have the links in the show notes to reach out to Barry at his company, and I'll have all the tw- um, the Twitter links and, and whatnot. Barry, yeah. thank you so much for joining me today. I you really bet. appreciate it. That was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, take care. All right, you too. This has been a VincenzoLandino.com production. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the Brand Boost podcast, please give us a rating, write a review, or subscribe. Head on over to BrandBoostCast.com forward slash subscribe.